a grocery store, a church, a nail salon, a McDonald's, and an elementary school. These are all places that should feel safe right now. But they don't. So as with many of you, uh, this week I felt a range of emotions. Sorrow, anger, even despair. Sorrow at another tragic loss of life. Anger at those who refuse to acknowledge that guns are a problem in this country. And despair that this will happen again. Maybe months, weeks, days from now. Because nobody can seem to agree to do anything about it. Despair. And my guess is you've experienced a range of emotions well, as well. Maybe similar to mine, maybe different. Maybe for your own experience, your, your unique experience of how you see guns and gun violence. But whatever your emotions, one thing is for sure, this has been a heart-wrenching week. So right now, this week, Revelation is just the book we need. Because this book offers hope amid hardship, security amid suffering, and anticipation amid anxiety. That's what this book is all about. And that's what we need this week. So when John wrote this book, somewhere around 90 AD, Christians were under attack. They were being imprisoned, beaten, even killed under the Roman emperor Domitian. It was a terrifying time to be a Christian. But remarkably, the church was strong. And it was growing and expanding. So what is it that these early Christians knew? that we need to be reminded of this week? Where did they find their strength? In the face of situations way worse than probably anything anybody in this room or watching us online has ever experienced. They continued to thrive in their faith. They continued to maintain hope, which is something I had a hard time doing this week. What do they know that we desperately need to be reminded of? Well, the answer to that can actually be found in the very first chapter of Revelation. It can be found all throughout the book, but we get the joy this week, and the answer is right there in the text that I had planned for this week a couple months ago. So, but before we dive into that, I want to give you a little reminder. If you were here last week or you watched online, uh, then I want to remind you of the five things we talked about last week of how to understand the book of Revelation. And you've got to do these five things. If you don't, you are guaranteed to mess up understanding this book. And it is really easy to mess up understanding this book. Okay, so these five things. It's centered around Jesus Christ. The first and foremost thing is always Jesus. 
It's not timelines. It's not Antichrist. It's not, no, it's Jesus. Second, it uses lots of symbols and images. Third, it uses numbers symbolically. Fourth, it draws heavily on the Old Testament. And fifth, it's difficult to understand. Now, if you missed last week, go back, watch it, watch it on Facebook, watch it on YouTube, get caught up on that. I also wrote a couple articles on it. You can find those on our Facebook page or on our website under resources. And so, so those, and what's amazing, today we're going to use all five of those. We're going to use all five of those to understand what John is talking about in today's passage. So we're going to start in verse 9, but we're really going to focus in toward the end of the chapter. So it begins with verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience endurance, patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, so John is an old man at this time, probably in his 90s. And he's the last of the 12 original apostles, the last living apostle. He's exiled for his faith to an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean. Now, on a Sunday, he describes it as the Lord's Day, he was praying, he was so deep in prayer, he was described as being in the Spirit. And then a voice told him to write down what he was about to see and hear and send it to seven churches. These are seven real churches in the nearby province of Asia Minor, what we would think of as Turkey. So here's a map of the Mediterranean. So that's Italy, Italy on the far right. There's Greece in the middle, Africa on the bottom. And then Patmos is the really small island. It's a little bit of a red highlight. It's below all of the yellow highlights. That's the little tiny rocky island of Patmos. And then the churches are all labeled there. We're going to dive more into the churches next week. Um, But for now, you can see that those are churches in the neighboring mainland. And then one last thing before we move from the map is if you go down, if you see the label Mediterranean Sea, just above that is the island of Rhodes, which has nothing to do with this passage. I just like that I have an island named after me. There you go. So, um, So for this next part of the passage, this is amazing because there is no passage in Scripture no passage in the New Testament at least, that exalts Jesus more than John's vision of the risen and glorified Jesus Christ that's described here. There's nothing else like it in the New Testament. So let's read it. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash across his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. 
and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Okay, now this is where it starts to sound like Revelation. A whole bunch of weird imagery that doesn't really make sense. And so if you were here last week, or if, you, if you've watched it online, this is where we might look in, at this and say, eagles wear hats. If that joke does not make any sense, then go watch last week's service. Then, then you'll laugh, okay? Now, see, if you did, if you looked at this and said, eagles wear hats, this is how you might picture this description from, of John. And here's... Jesus with a gold slash and flaming eyes and a sword and stars in his hand. And that might be what you think Jesus is like. See, eagles wear hats. Okay, but no. See, instead, these are all similes and metaphors. These are descriptions of what Jesus was like. And it was the only way to capture all that Jesus is. And so we're going to go through, we're going to use this as a little test case of how to read Revelation responsibly. And I'm going to go through five of these symbols that you see here. Five of these symbols and tell you the Old Testament reference. And you're going to see over and over again that all of this, this whole thing is straight out of the Old Testament. There's not an original piece in this. And there's a reason for that. It's to say that this promised Messiah of the Old Testament, this is Jesus. And not just that, but Yahweh God of the Old Testament. This is Jesus. So, so let's, let's run through about five of these symbols so far in here. So first, uh, 113, someone like the Son of Man. So this comes out of a very famous mess- messianic passage out of Daniel. And it says, Daniel's recites, in my vision, there was before me one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Every Jewish person would have immediately known Son of Man was a title of Messiah, of Savior. And so this is, so this doesn't mean like the Son of a Man. This is an Old Testament title that says the divine Messiah. Next, same verse, 13, wearing a robe down to the floor and a golden sash. Check out Daniel 10, 5. There was before me a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. It's a nearly identical description. And then anyone who who knew kings, which was everybody back then, also knew that that regular people wore short robes. Kings wore robes down to the floor. And this golden sash not only was described in Daniel, but it also harkens back to the, the, the outfit of the priests of the Jewish temple. Very reminiscent of that. So this one, when Jesus is described as a long robe with a golden sash, he, it means he is both exalted king and high priest. 
all in just the clothing. Next, verse 14. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Again, this isn't original. Back to Daniel. And this is a passage talking about this title called the Ancient of Days. This wasn't about Messiah. This was about God. His clothing was white as snow. His hair on his head was white like wool. It's almost verbatim from the Old Testament. And this whiteness represents the purity of God, the sinlessness, the holiness of God. Next, also in verse 14, his eyes were like blazing fire. You can picture those cool little like Elton John flaming glasses right there. Okay, his eyes were like blazing fire. Again, out of Daniel. His body was like topaz. His face like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. See, anybody who knew the book of Daniel, which was pretty much all of his Jewish readers, would have known what John was describing. And John immediately knew what he was describing. Okay? That, that the, um, the blazing fire, this is God's penetrating insight, his, his omniscience, his all-knowingness. Next, one more out of verse 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean he has a lead foot and drives really fast. No. What this means, this, this image of bronze in a furnace, can you picture that? You ever thrown metal into the fireplace and things like that, or a spoon in the microwave? Okay, you get the idea. So, so again, right out of Daniel. There was before me, I, oh no, sorry, his, his arms and legs like gleam, had the gleam of burnished bronze. So this is a picture that was already described hundreds of years prior. And here's the picture that the angel gives to John to say, write down. And that, that those bronze feet represent God's strength, God's stability, his unmovingness, his unchangeableness. Now, there are other descriptions in here as well that we don't have the time to go through piece by piece. But there's the voice like running water. That represents God's power. Have you ever been around a really strong brook or river? Can you hear it? Yeah, whitewater rafting, that's God's power. The sword coming out of his mouth we talked about last week, that's God's truth and God's judgment. And then a face like the sun, that's God's glory. So it's all over the place. So are you starting to get the picture it's not about some amalgamation of these literal images. And if you Google Revelation Jesus, you'll see all kinds of these types of images of people who tried to capture literally what John received. But think about it. How would you respond if you saw Jesus in his full divinity and everything? Think about all, just the things we talked about. Divine Messiah, exalted king, priest who is pure, with penetrating insight, with strength, stability, power, truth, judgment, glory. 
All of that John was seeing all at once. And he fell down. The passage says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, maybe he fainted, which if there was ever a reason to faint, this probably would be a good one. Maybe he just straight up passed out. Or maybe he just laid himself on the floor and saying, I am nothing. I'm dirt compared to what I'm looking at. And, but regardless, he was so overwhelmed that his mind and his body could not take it all in. And then Jesus did the most amazing thing. But before we get to that, there are two more images that I haven't talked about yet. I kind of skipped over them. Two more images, the lampstands and the stars. So let's go back a few verses. Verse 12 and 13. When I turned, I saw seven lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Incidentally, this is directly out of the Jewish temple. And if you're familiar with the menorah, a lampstand of seven lights. That was exactly what was in the temple. And that's believed what to be what John saw here as well. And then verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. So now sometimes what's, what's great, the book of Revelation sometimes explains the book of Revelation. It's kind of like me jumping on and leaving a review for River Life saying, man, that lead pastor is a great preacher. And he's pretty easy on the eyes also. Okay, no one would believe that review at all. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so, so sometimes Revelation explains itself. If we go down a few verses down to 20, it actually says what it is. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Remember, Revelation uses numbers symbolically, and the number seven represents completeness. So, so when John saw the seven lampstands, he wasn't seeing those seven churches. He was seeing all the churches. The complete church of God is represented there. It's all of God's churches. That means us. We're included in the book of Revelation. And, and here's the amazing thing. Jesus is literally walking among his churches. The passage says that he is among the lampstands. Jesus is literally walking among his churches. He is today, he was, and he will be. And so that is a wonderful, the one who is returning one day is among us already. Now, the seven stars that he held in his hand. Now, these are the angels that are guiding and protecting God's churches. There's a lot of debate about what this means, and I actually have about half an article written that, that I'll be posting in the next couple days, that there's some debate whether this means the pastors of the churches or, the, or angels, kind of think of like guardian angels 
for churches. And, and I believe scripturally the evidence is overwhelmingly strong to say that these represent actual angelic beings, not human leaders. And stay, stay tuned for a couple days if you want to dig into a little bit of Greek and a little bit of the sentence structure and stuff, and I'll, I'll be explaining that in an article this week. Um, but so, so God is holding these, these angels. What that means is that churches have angels who are there to guard them and protect them. That means river life. We have angels whom God has assigned to guard and guide and protect us. And you remember, it's not just seven for those seven churches in Turkey. No, that's all the churches. So so get this. Jesus, who walks among his churches, literally holds us in the palm of his hand. Jesus holds his churches in the palm of his hand. Okay. Now, this Jesus, he did the most amazing thing for John. While John is flat on the ground, here's what Jesus did. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Don't be afraid. That is something we need to hear today. Don't be afraid. Now, when the the original hearers of this letter, those churches in Turkey, heard, don't be afraid, it doesn't mean that the persecution would stop. Jesus never promised that. It doesn't mean that the violence and the killing will stop. Jesus never promised that. But what it does mean is in the middle of it all, in the middle of the worst, don't be afraid. That is something we need to hear today. That is something the Christians of the first century needed to hear. Jesus is the reigning Lord over the universe, the beginning and the end, the one with power the power of life and death. And John was writing to persecuted Christians who have had it way worse than anything we experience. And he was reminding them that God is bigger. God is more powerful than the circumstances you're living in, than the trials you're going through. He is bigger than their hardships, and he is bigger than yours. Don't be afraid. Now, does that mean there won't be any more school shootings? No, it doesn't. 
But Jesus holds the power of life and death. And, and I, I don't really know how to wrap my head around the loss of life and that Jesus is the one that holds the power over life and death. But I'm going to trust in the one with the power. No child is lost without breaking his heart. And somehow, God in his complete knowledge and in his glory allows tragedies like this. But don't think for a second that God is gone. No child loses their life without Jesus knowing it and weeping over it. Don't be afraid. Does that mean you will never be lonely again? No. But it does mean that Jesus is walking alongside you. Don't be afraid. Doesn't mean we won't have any more racist attacks. No. But Jesus is holding you in his hands. Jesus Christ has the power and desire to be with you in the middle of your fears. And remembering this, remembering this will allow us, will allow you to take your next step of faithfulness, whatever that is, that next step of faithfulness. How? Because Jesus is with you. No matter what is, was, or will to be, Jesus is with you. So I remember the night George Floyd was killed. And as I watched the video, I was just horrified by what I saw. And in anger, in despair, I said to myself, let it all burn. Let it all burn. Turns out I wasn't the only one who thought that. That night, protesters attacked the third precinct in Minneapolis and burned it. Well, a few nights ago, when I read about Ivaldi, I said the same thing. I was so angry. I'd started a Facebook post, which would have been my most inflammatory post I'd ever put up. Thankfully, I deleted it, as is usually wise. But I was angry. And I said the same thing. Let it all burn. Another senseless act of violence. Another round of spineless politicians. Another round of people too guarded too protective of their own electability versus the safety of our country. I was angry. And I just said, let it all burn. Well, thankfully, 
about a day later or so, I was talking with a good friend and mentor of mine. And he said, no. That's not goodness nor justice. That's anger. There will be times where revelation feels like, let it all burn. But that's not how God works. And that's not what this book is about. This book is about a risen, exalted, glorified Savior who is walking among his people and holds us in his right hand. He holds our present, our past, and our future in his right hand. And because of that, I don't have to say, let it all burn. Because that's not how God works. That's not goodness, nor is it justice. So whatever you're feeling this week, you need to remember that our God in heaven, Jesus Christ is walking alongside you, and he holds your future. He holds your present, and he holds your past in the palm of his hand. Join with me in prayer. God, we are heartbroken, and we are angry. And we feel at times hopeless. We take all of our emotions, those we've said and those we aren't even aware of, those we've internalized deep and those we have yet to even encounter. We take all of those emotions and we lay them at the feet of Jesus, our glorified Lord, Messiah, King, Priest. And we do that knowing he is near. He is here. He is walking among us. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand. In all of your glory, you don't shun us. You don't throw us away. But you invite us in. And you lovingly put a hand on us. And say, rise. God, thank you for the hope you give us. Lord, there is, there at times feels like there is no hope in this world. But there is hope in you. And there is hope in the goodness of people. So we bring to you everything we are. Everything we're feeling. And we give it to you, Lord. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.